There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Great to have you along with us and a big conversation coming in this next hour. A conversation that you can get your teeth into, you can contribute to. And uh, even if you don't know all the details about what goes on in a nation that is very different to ours, uh, you still might like to contribute by way of standing in solidarity with Christian believers, uh, perhaps even contributing to the conversation by way of how you feel that you ought to pray, because we're going to be talking about the nation of China today. And the likelihood, and not even the possibility, but the likelihood of an escalation of Christian persecution in the nation of China. Now, why would, be, would be, why would we be interested in talking about China? Well, there are tens of millions of Christian believers in China, both in a state church and in what was known initially and uh, all about an underground church movement. Now it's called the house church movement. Well, a little bit of detail as we introduce our special guest through this coming hour. On the 8th of September, the Chinese government released a deliberative draft of its new regulations on religious affairs. Uh, While Friday the 7th of October, that's only a month ago, was designated as the day the government would stop receiving public comments and bring the law into effect. But no public announcement has been made yet. Well, the regulations would give the government total control over religion. Unregistered and unapproved religious activity would no longer be tolerated. Registered churches will be obliged to follow strict guidelines and all building would be tightly regulated, uh, doubtless to reduce Christianity's visibility. Well, one of those uh, very courageous people who follows the issues that are going on when it comes to the persecuted church around the world, and I always love a conversation with Elizabeth Kendall, who's joining us today. She is an international religious liberty analyst and advocate. She's the author of a couple of books we've talked about extensively on this program over the years, Turn Back the Battle, Isaiah Speaks to Christians Today, which offers a biblical response to persecution, and After Saturday Comes Sunday, Elizabeth's latest book, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. Well, Elizabeth has a wide-ranging understanding of what's going on so far as persecution of Christian believers around the world. She maintains a couple of blogs, one called the Religious Liberty Prayer Bulletin, to facilitate strategic mission, aid, advocacy and prayer, and another one called Religious Liberty Monitoring, which provides additional news and analysis. Uh, There's lots of dimensions to Elizabeth Kendall, and we're going to be talking about China today. But Elizabeth Kendall, a special welcome along to another 2020. And thanks for having me again, Neil. 
Well, Elizabeth, I always appreciate your insights when it comes to persecuted believers. And we've talked about persecuted believers in so many nations around the world. Uh, coming back to the nation of China today, and in my introduction there, I mentioned that China, there are tens of millions of Christian believers. As we get this conversation underway and talk about the likelihood of rising persecution, uh, I wonder whether you can just give us a little bit of a snapshot in your understanding of just how significant the growth of the Christian church in China has been. Well, yes, the the estimate, I think, is for anywhere between 70 and 100 million Christians uh, of whom about 30 million might belong to the state church. Now, the state church is known as the three-self patriotic movement. And that term three-self means that the church has to be uh, self-funding, uh, self-sustaining and self-governing, I think, of the three, the three selves. And, uh, but in, in actual fact, they're actually really controlled by the Communist Party of China. The Communist Party uh, trains their, their leaders and tells them what to do and sets the rules. And, and uh, while these churches can keep their doors open and can sell Bibles and can preach to some degree the gospel, uh, they are still so profoundly restricted and controlled that the majority of Christians opt for house churches. And not only that, but these, these big three self-patriotic movement churches, the state-run churches, only really exist in major cities. So in, uh, in large tracts of rural China, you still have house churches being the only real way Christians can gather and get together. And uh, it's always varied throughout China. Uh, in some places, these little house churches are tolerated. In some places, they're not. But uh, I think the day for toleration is coming to an end. Uh, President Xi Jinping is very keen to uh, really bring Communist Party control over all of religion. So as you, as you noted, uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of Christians uh, facing some very tough choices and an escalation of persecution. Just reflecting for a moment on house churches, because in our Aussie mindset, uh, we're thinking of uh, home church where a dozen people mm. arrive for a nice Bible study. Uh, but in my understanding, a house church in China might have tens of thousands of people attached to it. Uh, it's not a small movement, the house church movement. Uh, and as you're reflecting, somewhere in the vicinity of 30 million people in the three self-patriotic movement, but in the house church movement, uh, it's just huge, Elizabeth. Well, that's right, because what happens is they form networks. So you might have a, a house church where people go in and out of the house you know, continually through the day in little worship services through the day, and these and they'll be packed. But they also then have a have a network that extends into the next suburb and the next suburb, and and uh, they become like little miniature denominations. Some of them, and some of these networks, they do they have you know five thousand members in one house church network that's really that's under the oversight of 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 like of a senior pastor and then a, uh, a, a network of, of pastors that have oversight for, for different, uh, different areas. It's an incredible, uh, a, a, an incredible phenomenon, really.
And one of the things that marks many house churches, and particularly in one city or one province there in China, is that a lot of these house churches have become so significant that they've erected their own quite large crosses outside the houses where the house church meets. And really, it becomes a little bit like what we'd imagine here in Australia, I think, you know, the idea of erecting a cross at a church so that it's a public display of this is where the worship of God happens on a Sunday. But this sort of erection of crosses has been quite widespread in some parts of China. Yes, well, you're uh, you're talking there primarily about Zhishang and uh, the, its business hub, Wenzhou. Now, Wenzhou is on the is on the sort of uh, southern coast of China, south of Shanghai, and it's a real business hub, and uh, it's become famous for its many many churches. And the thing that has has enabled the churches to flourish in Wenzhou is the fact that so many of the Christians there are are successful business people. And because they're successful business people, uh, the government has allowed them a lot of, you know, a lot of levity, a lot. They've been able to do a lot of things that you can't get away with in a lot of other regions of China. So because they have a lot of economic and political clout, these Christian entrepreneurs they've been able to uh, get building permits to build absolutely enormous cathedral-like churches with great big crosses on the top. Some of these churches, uh, you know, they have a massive cathedral-like auditorium and then, you know, that's maybe three stories tall and then they have a couple of stories on top of that that are classrooms and uh, they have a Bible college running there and uh, and on on top of that they have a couple more stories of... uh, of uh, like an old people's uh, retirement village so that, uh, you know, Christ- elderly Christians whose only child, because they've had a one-child policy, has gone overseas, they can be looked after by the church by living actually on site. And these are, these are major ventures. And uh, because these Christian businessmen, these Christian entrepreneurs have been so successful in Wenzhou, uh, they've been given a lot of leeway to build churches, but those days have come to an end. Wenzhou has been long known as China's Jerusalem because of its many churches. And what what these Christian entrepreneurs have done is they've run factories and businesses along Christian principles. So their workplace comes to work and they start with morning devotions. Uh, There's Christian music playing. Over lunchtime, there'll be a Bible study uh, read from the loudspeakers. And by the time people have been working there for a few years, you know, most of them are Christians and are going to church. So it's been a phenomenal thing, the the Christianization of Wenzhou and the Christianization of Zijing. And it's, it's been famous for its skyline you know, being dotted with these churches and and crosses everywhere. Now, the crackdown is coming and has already begun, Elizabeth. And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm always cautious when we talk about these sorts of things because uh, we paint a picture of what might be happening in China. And and when we talk about crackdowns, that can mean different things to different people. But uh, they've already uh, begun a crackdown on those crosses that have been erected outside house churches uh, in uh, the uh, Zhejiang uh, business hub in Wenzhou. 
that's the, the start of something that's perhaps going to be quite big that's coming that might spread around the nation. Well, that's right. I believe personally, and I'm, I'm not alone with this belief, that what's been, that the serious religious crackdown in Zhejiang uh, and centred around Wenzhou, China's Jerusalem, has actually been but an experiment, uh, a testing of the waters to see if they can, if this sort of crackdown could be, could be taken nationwide. And, and you might think, well, why? Why would you do an experiment right in China's Jerusalem? Why not go out to some little backwater and try it? I think that the thinking has been, in my opinion, if, it, if we can get away with it in Wenzhou, we can get away with it anywhere. And this, the crackdown started in Wenzhou in uh, January of 2014. And the interesting thing about uh, Wenzhou and about Zhejiang province is that President Xi Jinping was the governor of Zhejiang province. He was the Communist Party chief there from 2002 through to 2007. So President Xi Jinping knows all about Zhejiang. He lived there. He governed there. He spent his days there for, you know, five years. So he's no stranger to the massive Christianization of Zhejiang and of Wenzhou. And um, the crackdown started. The crackdown started in January 2014, and the first thing that they started to do was to remove the crosses. The Communist Party in the province said there are too many crosses, and it's spoiling the skyline. We have to get rid of them. And of course, this hugely upset the churches because they hold the cross very, very dear. And um, they didn't want their crosses removed. And crosses that, and churches that were resisting these calls to take down the cross found themselves getting demolished. And uh, the bulldozers would come in and the, uh, the police would come in with their trudgeons and people were ending up in hospital and pastors have been arrest, arrested. And I think it's about 1,800 crosses have been forcibly removed and uh, quite a number of churches have actually been completely demolished that description i gave earlier of a of really of a really large church that has multiple floors that comprise auditoriums and classrooms and retirement village that was one of the first churches i was thinking of a particular church and it was one of the first churches bulldozed by the communist party in zhejiang so these are not just little you know like grass huts down the road somewhere these are major facilities that have had they they have had building permission because the government has wanted to stay on the right side of the christian entrepreneurs but now they've they've uh, switched their their feelings on this and they and they're attacking them very harshly and i'm absolutely convinced that what has been happening in in uh, Zhejiang over the last few years is about to be rolled out nationwide with these new regulations Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, perhaps you've been to China, perhaps you've been a part of one of those house church gatherings. You might like to join our conversation today at 1-800-316-316 to join in. Elizabeth Kendall, Religious Liberty Analyst, is our guest. We are talking about China and escalating Christian persecution in China. Uh, 
Elizabeth, before we get into some more of the, the nitty-gritty of why this might be happening, uh, I've heard before that there are a lot of Christian uh, people who are a part of the leadership of the communist government. Is that something that uh, you're able to reflect on at all? Well, I can't give you any details, but I have heard the same reports that the that the growth of Christianity in China has reached right into the Communist Party. Now, this is one of the things that's very, very important about Christianity in China. Now, if you look at a country like India, say, you'll find that virtually all the church is located in the bottom strata of society. I think about 60% of the church in India uh, are, are untouchables or Dalits. And the rest are low caste peoples, and it's very difficult to 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 have for Brahmins, at the high the high caste people of India, to convert. It's one thing to have the gospel lift you up; it's another thing to have the gospel cut you down to size. So, in a country like India, the church is overwhelmingly poor and disenfranchised. In China, you have something quite different and quite remarkable and actually quite unique in the world. For a long time, the the, uh, Christian movement in China was rural, and there's no doubt about that. All through the communist era, it was very much a rural phenomenon, and it was mostly spread uh, by... uh, you know, by, by, often by elderly women going out and sharing the gospel from rural village to rural village. And uh, the church grew from about a million to many tens of millions uh, during, the, during this time. Uh, but what happened at the time of the Tiananmen Square massacre was uh, the urban elite, particularly in Beijing, got this vision of how morally bankrupt uh, atheism and communism and the Communist Party is. And the Tiananmen Square massacre of students, which was a shocking, shocking thing, actually really opened up uh, the Chinese elite to receive the gospel in a whole new way. And what you have from from, uh, the Tiananmen Square onwards through that decade of the 1990s is an incredible revival or, or an awakening amongst the elite. And so what we have now in China is we have the gospel. We have the church or Christianity spread across all levels of society. You have doctors and lawyers and you have um, the, the, the uh, chief conductor of the Beijing Philharmonic uh, became a Christian during this time. And I think he was put under house arrest after conducting a, a performance of Handel's Messiah in about 2004 or five, I think it was. But so, so we've got this incredible uh, now spread of Christianity through all strata of society and uh, right up into the Communist Party. But because of that, the uh, Communist Party has made it uh, illegal now for Communist Party members to be Christians. They must be atheists. They must sign up to uh, to Maoist and Marxist philosophy. So um, probably many have left, or might be keeping their faith um, a, a secret, or so they can say so they can uh, stay inside the party and monitor what's going on. But yes, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I believe God is preparing China to take a a, a great role 
in the future of global Christianity uh, in future in the future years. And when we think of the estimate as you were reflecting, somewhere between 70 and 100 million Christians, uh, the mind boggles when we talk about those sorts of numbers. Uh, hard for us even to imagine uh, the numbers of Christian believers in China. But mm. very, very interesting as you reflect, Elizabeth Kendall, uh, that uh, these Christians are scattered throughout all of the different strata of the society uh, from the top uh, down to the bottom. But let's talk about uh, the vulnerable points uh, where change can bring uh, an increased uh, crackdown on the Christian church, uh, a time that is looming, leadership transition times. Uh, just reflect for us on a looming leadership transition that uh, is coming upon China very soon. Well, China, uh, there might not be a leadership transition, so they've just had their... Uh, they've just had one lot of um, uh, uh, important uh, meetings and what they have done there is they have actually confirmed President Xi Jinping as the core, they call the core or the Hexing. So, and this term, the core, uh, means that he is a leader whose opinion cannot be questioned. It puts him on the same level as Chairman Mao. Uh, and Deng Xiaoping, uh, their, their authority is not to be questioned. So what we have now is we have a situation where we have a, a, a leader in a more powerful situation than we have seen in China probably since the, the era of Chairman Mao himself. Uh, and there's, there are a lot of people who are of the opinion that what Xi Jinping is working at is possibly having himself in a position where he can change the constitution and and remain China's leader. I don't think he'll get away with it. Uh, I could even be his uh, undoing. But um, but I think there's, there's a lot of... Uh, I think that's what he's working towards. So when we're speculating about the crackdowns that will likely come into the future, a lot of the speculation about that comes down to the personality of the leader because, as you say, uh, with someone who is in charge uh, with the same authority as Mao, uh, then, as their word goes, uh, that's what will happen. Uh, tell me what you know about uh, Xi Jinping and uh, his uh, his uh, loyalty to uh, those Marxist, uh, Leninist ideals, uh, something that, you know, is in the history of China. Well, he's what's known as a princeling, that is, that he is the son of one of the uh, core uh, Communist Party, um, you know, uh, heroes of the past. Um, he's a dedicated Maoist himself. He believes that communism is attainable in China. So he's ideologically very much a Chinese communist. Um, and, and the crackdown is pretty much all about power, uh, keeping the Communist Party in power uh, and keeping himself in power. Now, you'll, you will have heard a lot on the radio and the television about these uh, corruption purges. Most of the corruption purging that's been taking place in China has actually been the purging of dissenters, uh, per the purging of opponents. In fact, a lot of the, the Christian leaders who are in prison at the moment in China are there on corruption charges. They, they were the, the pastors of some of China's biggest official churches. 
but they criticised the Communist Party and bang, they were locked up on charges of corruption and embezzlement and things like that. So this is becoming a very popular charge. And, and one thing that the government is doing now to uh, shore its power up even more is it's cracking down on the lawyers and on the human rights activists and writers. And, you know, these are people who... Have, this has been a movement that has really grown probably since Tiananmen Square, since you've seen Christians coming to faith uh, in these uh, elite areas of China and in the cities. You now have quite a strong Christian human rights movement and Christian uh, legal movement. So as the churches were, were coming under a crackdown in Zhejiang, you had Christian lawyers uh, defending them uh, and defending, them, defending their rights and speaking up about uh, religious freedom. And one of those lawyers was uh, a young man by the name of Zhang Kai, a Beijing-based lawyer, human rights lawyer, only 37 years of age. And he pointed out that, well, he said that it was, you know, just incumbent upon Christian lawyers to be defending the cross and defending the rights of churches to display their cross. And uh, for that, he was arrested. He spent uh, six months in uh, solitary confinement in the dark and uh, until he was prepared to make a confession of his crimes. And then he was released uh, uh, to his mother's home in, uh, Mon uh, in uh, central Mongolia, inner Mongolia. But he's now been rearrested, and no one knows where he is. Just a young man, a young Christian lawyer, and, you know, in parallel with the regulations against the church are regulations against lawyers. Lawyers are no longer going to be allowed to speak out against human rights abuses. So the church is not only losing its freedom, it will be losing its lawyers as well. Elizabeth Kendall, as we get this part of our discussion underway, some people would be saying it's a communist government in China and the church has been flourishing uh, can't the church just simply sit quietly and continue to flourish under a communist government? Does it always work like that? Well, there are plenty of people who uh, think that that you know, should be able to happen. But the trouble is the communist authorities have put such incredible restrictions on the church that it, it makes it almost impossible to function uh, without doing something illegal. So... So, for example, even with the, the three self-patriotic movement, there are, there are things that preachers can't preach about. Uh, they, you're not allowed to, uh, uh, to evangelise outside of your facility. So you can, you can speak about the Lord Jesus inside the church building, but you can't, you can't uh, do any evangelistic activities on the street. Uh, you can't go into a person's house. You can't have any sort of like, uh, uh, you know, small groups, Bible studies. In fact, one of the most serious uh, conditions that the government puts on the church is that you can't teach religion to anyone under the age of 18. Uh, that's, that's illegal. That's not permitted. Well, most Christian families aren't going to have a bar of that. So in order to have uh, freedom, they basically go underground and uh, to meet without uh, government permission is itself illegal. So you end up in this uh, cycle of, of 
of illegality where it becomes almost impossible for Christians to function legally. The laws are such that it makes it really impossible. And uh, so Christians are always sort of uh, climbing uphill with all sorts of problems. The whole idea of sinicide in Christianity, the government's uh, new, f- new phrase, it's, this is something that's been tried before and failed. It's been tried repeatedly and failed. The idea is to make Christianity uniquely Chinese, to have a uniquely Chinese form of Christianity that makes Marxism and Christianity compatible. Well, how do you make... Marxism and Christianity compatible? How do you make atheism and Christianity compatible? Uh, You know, Marx said, abolish religion, abolish family, abolish marriage. How do you make that compatible with the biblical message? The atheistic worldview is diametrically opposed to the Christian worldview. The atheist uh, value that it puts on a human being is almost nothing, whereas the Christian value for a human being is is the greatest of, of all religions in the world, because we believe that God created uh, humanity in His image to be in relationship with Him. So there are so many things that are incompatible, and it just means that the government and the church uh, is always at a point of tension. Elizabeth, I imagine that while the church was small, it was allowed to happen, allowed to flourish. Of course, it would get to a certain size where it may become a threat to the communist government regime. Uh, Is there a sense in which uh, that you might understand the Chinese government feels threatened by the church? Is the church really a threat at this time? Well, there are a lot of Christians who would like to say that, no, of course the church is not a threat to the government. And I don't think the church actually wants to be a threat to the government. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely true and correct when people say that Chinese Christians have no desire to threaten their government. They just want to be good citizens. That's all they want to be is good citizens and to be and to have freedom to worship the Lord. But, you know, the Chinese communists, they know, they recognize that Christianity is a threat to their power and to communism and to atheism. Christianity is a threat to every, every corrupt regime, every cruel regime. Uh, these regimes are cruel. They are brutal. They torture people. They are corrupt. Because the atheistic worldview is a, it's an evolutionary worldview where the top dog basically is, is, is like a little mini god. It's a dog eat dog world. It's uh, survival of the fittest and you're accountable to no one uh, except the police, of course. And so it's a completely different system, a completely different system. So the Christian who comes along with, with values and who says, God says, and the creator of the heavens and the earth says, and this creator is supreme over and above you, Mr. President, and over and above the Communist Party. The Communist Party knows that that is a threat. And especially the Chinese Communist Party, they have seen the impact that Christianity has had on communism in Europe. It brought it down. It brought it down, and uh, they know the power. It's, you know, sometimes I get absolutely amazed at the fact that communists, 
and Islamists and all sorts of people have more faith in the prayers of Christians and in the, in, in the godliness of the church than, the, than Christians do themselves. They don't understand, actually. Christians often don't understand the power of their prayers, the power of godliness, the power of righteousness, and the power of the gospel. Uh, but actually, I believe the Communist Party knows exactly what a threat Christianity is uh, to communist control. Well, we're at a point where there have been 300 prominent human rights activists and lawyers who have been arrested. Uh, there's been something in the vicinity of 1,800 crosses removed from those house churches that we were talking about in Zhejiang. Uh, is this just the beginning, Elizabeth? What, we, what ought we expect uh, to see or hear about uh, getting uncovered in the days to come? Yes, well, what the government did in Zhejiang was it first went for the churches, right, for the crosses, uh, and, and really this, this was not about making the skyline more beautiful or anything, of any, or, or uh, making the churches, you know, conform to new building guidelines. It was all about making the church uh, submit itself to the Communist Party and come under the control of the Communist Party. Again, it was... It was uh, like a humiliation and a subjugation of the church. Once it, had, once it was well underway and the lawyers started speaking up for the rights of Christians and churches, then they went for the lawyers. And they, uh, they arrested lawyers. They locked them up uh, in terrible conditions in the black jail system. And then by the end of 2015 and through the beginning of this year, they went after the uh, the leaders of the, some of the country's largest official three self-patriotic churches. So the largest three self-patriotic church in all of China is in Zhejiang. And the pastor of that church, he criticised the communist government for what it was doing to the churches in Zhejiang. And no sooner had he done that and he was arrested. And then another pastor, he complained about what was happening and he was arrested. And there's been a number of them arrested now. And uh, so what the government is doing is they are saying, not only are we going to completely uh, wrap up the, the unofficial house church movement, uh, we are going to make sure that the three self-patriotic movement, the registered movement, does exactly what we tell it to do, says what we tell it to say. One of the pastors that was arrested earlier this year was, uh, had, had refused to, uh, put, to replace the cross with a, commun with a Chinese flag. And uh, for that he was arrested. I think he was charged with corruption. You know, these are false charges. Uh, they're denied access to lawyers and the government's getting away with it. Uh, and I think what we're going to see is they will roll, now start rolling out the same thing uh, countrywide. They have legislation in place to uh, attack the church and to, and to rein in the lawyers countrywide. So that's what we're, I think we can expect to see this start to really roll out during the course of 2017. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good morning, Neil. Uh, good morning, Elizabeth. Yeah, I just... Uh, uh, it's uh, funny you're talking about China because I rang my brother at Barnabas to 
say, why don't we start a campaign like, you know, the apartheid one against Pakistan, India and uh, Sri Lanka in cricket, you know, regarding the mm. sea of Bibi and all the things that are happening there. But he told me, uh, yeah, the uh, majority of persecution is happening in China. So, yeah, it's um, just was one, something I want to say is that, like, as Christians, again, we, we could be responsible for this by, you know, our, our prayers sort of thing. You know, again, we go into the powder room, not the war room so, as such. Uh, we, we tell these nations uh, as a whole, as a collective Christian whole, that uh, to repent or, or, you know, what we will pray against them, like China. I mean, it's now um, reacting to its prosperity and all that sort of stuff, whereas we tell them, you know, we, we ask God to turn you back into a bamboo and rice economy or, or stuff like that, or even, you know, the, the persecutors uh, like ISIS, that we ask God to, you know, if they don't repent, we we let them know that what we're going to pray against them, that what God will do to them, you know. So, uh, Good thoughts there, know, Chris. Uh, we can pray as much as we want. They still won't uh, accept it that it's God. But if we tell them what, what we are asking God to do, I think they might sort of uh, change their attitudes, yeah. Chris, it seems to me that there aren't world leaders who have that sort of backbone to uh, call out this sort of sin as sin. Elizabeth Kendall, your thoughts on what Chris is sharing? Yes, well, I, I agree with you absolutely, Chris. I believe the church really has to take this up. You know, I think one thing that has happened in the latter part of the 20th century, particularly after the Cold War, where you get America uh, basically left at the end of the Cold War as the world's sole superpower. And I think a lot of Christians at that point started to really have faith in politics. <laughs> I think that was actually a moment where uh, the eyes of the church uh, shifted from, from prayer to politics and from thinking, may, in fact, I know that there were many Christians who at, this, at that point actually began thinking that this is the way God is going to change the world. You know, and then America brought in its you know, Freedom from Religious Persecution Act and was standing up for religious freedom in the world. And, and lots of Christians, I think, actually relaxed in their churches a lot of churches relaxed and thought okay the the america's got it covered you know we can we can go back to playing tennis and and america can fix up the religious persecution issue in the world and then what we had was the global financial crisis and america lost all its leverage that that it was using uh but but since then it's not even just about economics anymore i think the west has fundamentally shifted uh, the West is no longer the great defender of Judeo-Christian values that it has been in the past. In fact, you know, I, I, I think the West is uh, shifting uh, very, very badly, uh, very, very badly. And if you want someone to defend Judeo-Christian values, I wouldn't look to the West for it anymore, to Western politics, that is. And I think the church has to wake up to this and say, yes, America is not going to fix the problem of Christian persecution. The Western governments are not going to save persecuted Christians. Western governments are not going to, and they cannot actually, fix the problem in China. Our governments are more powerless in this regard than they have ever been and that we probably care to admit that they are and that they would care to admit that they are. What can we do? We haven't got the money or the, or the influence for sanctions. We don't want to antagonise countries. 
uh, but the church, the church is where the power lies. The church is connected to, to the sovereign God, the sovereign God who rules over China, the sovereign God who, who is greater than the Communist Party of China. And uh, the church is far, far, far more powerful than, than, it, than it often believes. And I believe the church has to stop thinking that politics is the answer. They have to get back on their knees and they have to do what churches have done in the past. They have to be praying for God to intervene and for God to work all things together for good for those who love him. Thank you to Chris from Victoria and great insight to Chris. Uh, not the powder room, the war room when it comes yes. to prayer. Let's take a call from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Hello, thank you. Look, we're, this is a sign of the times that uh, uh, the, the children of God are going to be persecuted in these times. Uh, Revelation is just go to first three chapters. The books, the, the, the church, where God tells them about turn to God. Some are going to be tested. We need to get close to God, our own country. Can you imagine certain people, in, there's politicians there, or the Prime Minister of Australia, and you've got the a reverse, you've got the same sort of thought. The other team, where are we going to be? We are in a situation where we are going to be tested, and those times are close, I believe very close. It says that uh, in Matthew 24, I'll take you before, uh, you know, before governors and so on, and uh, you'll be hated of all people. Why? Because we love God and righteousness, and we're going to stick to it. Graham, uh, good thoughts. Uh, your response, Elizabeth? Well, that's right. The church has been persecuted right from the beginning. In fact, the persecution of the church was so severe in the uh, in the first century of the church that uh, you know Paul was having to write to churches and say, you know, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to think that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Uh, and there's been terrible, terrible persecution throughout the ages. There have been massacres. Uh, we've had genocides. We've had uh, the rampaging hordes of Genghis Khan. We've had all sorts of terrible things uh, have happened all through the ages. Christians in the West have forgotten the degree to which persecution uh, and, and, and uh, church growth go together. When the church grows, it, it is persecuted. That is the nature of spiritual warfare. When the church grows, uh, Satan is not going to just sit back and take it. He fights and uh, persecution escalates. We have been blessed for a long time with living in a Judeo-Christian society, a Judeo-Christian culture that respects human beings, hum has a high value of human rights, a high value on liberty, and a high uh, degree of, of freedom for, for Christians. And we have... Uh, we have luxuriated in that and we're, and we're watching it disappear and we're a bit shocked and we're thinking, oh my goodness, persecution is coming back. The, really, the, the thing that's most, most unprecedented about the persecution today is its global nature. I think we're heading for a time, we're coming into a time 
where there will not even be a safe country. Uh, persecution is going to be uh, a global phenomenon. Uh, there will be safe places, of course, uh, you know, but there, it will be a global phenomenon, not so much a localised phenomenon as it has been in the past. But, you know, in the midst of it all, God is just so profoundly at work. It is amazing. And uh, I believe that we are going to see uh, incredible things in the future. I believe that the crackdown in China is going to, uh, going to have a very negative effect. I don't think the government is going to be able to get away with it. I believe we are going to see great change in China. I believe that we are going to see great change in the Muslim world. And I believe that we're going to see the gospel rising up in countries like China and Iran and Russia and, uh, and Africa. And they'll all be sending missionaries to the West in the decades to come. But uh, yes, Christians in the West have to get ready. We have to be prepared. I believe that at the moment we are not. We, uh, we have to be prepared to, to stand for, firm for our faith. And uh, these days are coming. They're coming to us. There's no doubt about that. Uh, thank you to Graham from Tasmania for your insights today. And we are running out of time very quickly. Uh, this idea of getting prepared, Elizabeth, uh, you've devoted your life in some sense uh, to be able to alert Christian believers as to the persecution that's going on around the world. And uh, and it, it does shake us to hear your prediction that persecution will be coming our way sometime soon. Watch this space. And how do you get prepared? Well, let me just ask you about uh, how your uh, book, uh, the, the latest one that you've uh, written, uh, uh, after Saturday comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. Uh, your book is a little bit about... Uh, becoming prepared for what may be coming on the whole world. Well, yes, the, one of the points of, that is made very clearly in in that book, after Saturday comes Sunday, is that the what's happening in Mesopotamia, in Syria and Iraq, is really just ground zero of an Islamic uh, revival that uh, that is going to uh, send that is sending shockwaves, like shockwaves, out into the world. We're certainly seeing. Uh, the same terrorism that has, is taking place in Mesopotamia, we're seeing it uh, in the Horn of Africa, uh, on the North African coast, uh, in Chechnya, in other places. We're seeing it uh, beginning to filter uh, in various ways into Germany and France and parts of England. Uh, we need to understand what's happening. And one way we can understand what's happening is to, to be involved with regularly praying for the persecuted church if you are regularly praying for the persecuted church then when when something comes your way when you are mocked for what you believe not only do you realize one that you are not alone that there are people all around the world who are suffering like you are and much much worse but you also realize that, uh, that you can rise above this, that there is a strength that you can find uh, in Jesus Christ. And the, pe- the persecuted who we pray for become a role model for us. So being involved in prayer for the persecuted, being involved in understanding why persecution happens and how it happens, how it takes place, all prepares us uh, to stand firm when persecution comes to us. And uh, understanding the gospel, too, and, and, and books like Acts 
the Acts of the Apostles to see that persecution has always been uh, something that Christians have suffered. It's, it's uh, something that we have to deal with. And yet through it, God does amazing things. You know, Christians were burned at the stake in the first century. They were fed to lions, and yet they, churned, they turned the world upside down. And basically through rank-and-file believers witnessing. Well, Elizabeth, we've run out of time. I'm going to point listeners to the website elizabethkendall.com. That's Elizabeth Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L.com. There are a number of websites that Elizabeth writes uh, blog articles on. There is also a critical prayer request website too for nations where Christians are persecuted and uh, we will have as soon as we can a uh, a copy of this conversation today up on a podcast on our 2020 page at vision.org.au forward slash radio. Elizabeth, always good getting your insights. I'll point people too to the book that you mentioned after Saturday comes Sunday, Understanding the Christian Crisis in the Middle East. You'll be able to get a hold of that too through elizabethkendall.com. Elizabeth, great talking. Thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.